Welcome to the second episode of Brain Buzz. Today, I'm excited to introduce our second host, as you may have guessed, is going to be Kyle Gooderham. Uh, welcome, Kyle. Hi, thanks. <laughs> uh, so we are lucky today because it's a bit it's a bit of a switch up from last week in uh, regards to theme. Kyle is a cognitive researcher in Todd Handy's lab at the University of British Columbia. And he specializes in exercise and cognition. And so today we're going to be talking to Kyle and get kind of what we're trying to get at today is what got you to where you are now. Uh, <laughs> That's quite the story. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what got you, what drew you in first off? Why you, why you're interested in psychology? Uh, then we're going to talk about your path from beginning to where you are currently and and more about what kind of uh, work you're doing within exercise and cognition and, and what kind of stories you can tell rega- with regards to that kind of work. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So, I mean, let's just get into it, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Should yeah. we start with the myth? Yeah. Let's do it. Let's start with the myth. Why not? All right. Cool. Okay. So what myth do you have for us? Um, <laughs> this myth is probably one of my favorites. Uh, and by favorite, I mean one of my most absolute disdained and hated uh, it's the idea that we only use 10% of our brain. We don't? <laughs> <laughs> to a health researcher, maybe. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're going to cut that out. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll edit that out. Uh, <laughs> okay. No, but the, uh, um, so the idea behind the 10% of our brain myth is that we actually have uh, sort of all this untapped potential that we're not getting into and not using. And so, uh, you know, there's theoretically 90% of our brain that's left over and is unused. Um I'll just say it straight out. That's flatly false, uh, just completely inaccurate. Um, if you were only using 10% of your brain, you would be dead. So uh, hopefully that's not the case. If you still believe this, then check your pulse. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's entirely false. Um, and as a matter of fact, our, our brain is a entire network. And so every little piece of it plays a really important part in some other component of what we're doing. Um, and that's part of what we do in cognitive research is we try and link up those pieces and we try and understand what um, part A does with part B and how that produces some effect C. So, you know, I think it's safe to say it's definitely wrong, um, but it's really interesting the way that research is evolving. We, we've, we're starting to see uh, really interestingly how various regions are connected and what those uh, functionalities do. Interesting. So... You're telling me that telekinesis is not when you just untap more than 10% of your brain power? <laughs> I can absolutely promise you that that is the case. Yes. I've been misled. <laughs> I think what's what's amazing about it is that it's it's something that is um, propagated throughout you know, media. There was a movie that came out a couple of years ago called Limitless, and that was the main premise of the movie was that they, you know, they were able Bradley to... Bradley Cooper, eat. right? It was Bradley <laughs> Cooper, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah. I think so. The pill? Was it the pill or? That doesn't really matter. Uh, <laughs> but the point is, is that this this myth is in, incredibly prevalent, and so um, it seems as though everybody comes into psychology thinking it's true, or if not everybody, then at least a large portion of people actually believe this still. Um, and there's just no evidence and no need for that to be <laughs> to be continued. So my hypothesis as to why this is such a popular myth. Um, 
is because it I think it might cause people to think that they have more potential if they oh, were just absolutely. to untap that 90 percent extra of their brain that they could do anything is that yeah. could that maybe propagate that myth in some oh, way absolutely i think i think giving somebody the illusion um that hey they're not they're not stuck where they are they can improve themselves um or that betterment is available to them or achievable given the fact that they can un unlock this extra potential you know if if we're talking about like 10 percent you know a one percent increase on that would be substantial right yeah you know massive, so yeah. um i think it's a really uh i think that's one of the reasons that the myth is is so prevalent yeah absolutely maybe uh, we'll talk a little bit later perhaps about some of the ways that you might actually in fact be able to improve your cognitive performance on various tasks but completely unrelated to the 10% of your brain myth. So, <laughs> Well, I'm glad you got that out of the way early on because I'm sure I would have had multiple questions on <laughs> what percentage of the brain you'd be using at one time. Um, let's uh, let's move on a bit, yeah? Let's, let's yeah. go into where it all began. What was your story? What were, you, what were your goals in life? <laughs> My my goals in life were to essentially skate by with as little effort as humanly possible. Um, <laughs> my my mom and my dad are gonna hate hearing this, but you know, <laughs> I was I, I was a good student, um, you know, through elementary school and and to some extent through high school, um, but I I really never applied myself. I never really tried. Um, that's not to say I got good grades because I definitely did not um <laughs> especially in in later high school and early college they were <laughs> not exactly pretty to look at but um i you know i got going kind of i was interested i was just always a curious individual and so a lot of my a lot of my desire to go on and pursue uh education came from sort of within um and finding ways that i could actually encourage myself or or be interested in the material was so fundamental to my education. Um, so yeah, I, I was I was born here, born in Vancouver. Um, I've been fortunate enough uh, that I've been able to stay in Vancouver. I uh, went to high school here, gone to university here. So um, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of how I'm here. Bring us back to your experience within college because it's kind of interesting to see how each graduate student or researcher in general kind of what the trajectory was what the road looked like yeah. and i'm waving my hand like with a bumpy road here because i know oh, kyle's yeah. story a little bit uh, but like oh, it's a bumpy road uh knowing how an individual kind of ended up where they're at is always interesting regardless of what work they do so yeah. so what was your trajectory from say end of end of high school to college so so at the end of high school i i applied to um I applied to UBC and by no shock to anybody, I was not accepted. Um, I'd chosen to stay local. Uh, I have family here and I didn't really have any intention of leaving if I didn't need to. Um, but I was accepted to Langara, uh, Langara College, which is a, a local college, um, into their arts and science transfer program, which gives students the opportunity to go to college where they, you know, can excel hopefully in smaller classes and, and uh, with different workloads uh, before going on to say UBC or any other major university. The idea is that these credits that they earn for the first two years of courses are transferable uh, at the, 
you know, at the post-secondary level to another uh, institution. So the goal, the plan was for me to uh, leave high school, get into Langara, do Langara for a couple of years, and then transfer out. Um, all the while I was working and, uh, you know, not that that was an excuse, but I ended up taking it. I was part-time as a student. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I was pursuing that. And how did you, as a part-time student and a part, like working part-time, mm -hmm. how did you, how did you manage that? How did you feel like, uh, you were managing that or how, how do you think the workload was? Uh, quite honestly, um, you know, I was, I was really immature at the time. I think just looking back, um, how old were you then? I would have been like 18, 19. Yeah. Um, you know, I had, you know, a reasonably good job, um, at least for somebody at my age. And, um, but I just, I didn't have, I didn't have it all together. I, I was just sort of doing the job to pay for school to kind of not do well at school. And so, um, after a couple semesters, I was like, in a real pickle because my grades were terrible. Um, I didn't really have any options. You know, it was kind of like, I have to figure it out now or I'm never going to make it. So mm -hmm. it was really up to me to kind of figure out what I had to do. Um, and so I, I did something that I would recommend to any student, uh, really, honestly, if they can do it is take some time off and disappear for a while, go explore, the world um i had the opportunity to go to europe for i think seven weeks or so um one long trip and it that was the point where everything changed for me so and and so what about taking that time off uh made that change for you well i think part of it was uh leaving everything behind you know going somewhere new where i didn't have anything you know i was more or less on my own there wasn't anybody else there to, you know, take care of me. Um, uh, you know, it, I had to figure it out. And so I think that really changed my perspective on a lot of things. But while I was away, I really got engrossed. I'd been so focused naively on my own life um, and the realities of the world around me. I, you know, I got used to everything. It, it all seemed so easy. Um, whether it be I know where all the stores are or I know... Uh, I know where I can do this and where I can't do that, whatever it might be. But when you're in a foreign country or a foreign place, suddenly all of those things are challenged. And you have to really start to reevaluate what you know to be true or what you think to be true. And, and in doing that, that really started to open my eyes. And so I remember really distinctly, I had um, a moment I was in, I think I was in Vienna. And uh, I just, I was at a cathedral and I stood back and... I thought, good Lord, this is insane. <laughs> and, you know, here's here's a bunch of people working for, for something that they'll never see the end of, you know, people mm -hmm. working on some project that would take multiple generations and they'd lay the first brick and their grandkid would lay the last and they'd never see the outcome. But I think what was really fascinating to me was that we are looking at, a, at this new culture with new people, new ideas. Um, I remember <laughs> while I was away, I had this weird thing where I could never... I just I got engrossed with these cities, but I could never get lost in them. And you always hear about people saying, "Oh, I got lost in Paris or whatever." And you know, they're they're talking about this sort of idea that they're, 
you know, they just don't know what's going on and it's so ethereal and whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, I took it far more literally. I could, I just literally could not get lost in a city. <laughs> I would try and find ways to disorient myself so that I didn't know where I was and I could try and experience that and that never happened. And so part of while I was away, what I learned was, hey, this is really neat. I actually don't know. I don't know how I'm doing this. <laughs> like, yeah. why is it that I'm able to keep track of where I am? How is it that I'm able to relate myself to my hotel, which was my base at that point, or my, my room where I was staying? Like, how was I able to make that connection always? Right. Um, and so the combination of of being in this place where I could explore, but I could also explore really safely because I knew that I could always get back to something really struck me. It was It was a really neat experience. What kind of places were you <laughs> visiting where you felt that safe? <laughs> oh man. Well, maybe maybe safety isn't the right word. <laughs> no, but you know, free I free to explore. Free, yeah, free just, to explore and yeah. just and really experience what was out there, and that was really neat. And I remember uh, paying a hell of a lot for a long distance phone call to call my dad, just tell him, "Hey, I f- I figured it out. I know what I want to do." And so, uh, when that happened, I was able to return. Uh, went back to Langara, and. Uh, what but, year you, were you in at this point? Oh, Did man. you take time off in the middle, or was it yeah. after your degree? Or? No, no, no. I so I, I think I took a. I must have gone for a, a year. I think. I think it was about a year. Okay. Of uh, part-time courses, maybe, maybe. Oh man. Or maybe actually it was it was two years. Sorry, yeah, it was two years. So it was in your second year that this. this yeah, yeah. Again. So the time that I should have been graduating, I was from Langara at least. I was like, uh oh, <laughs> they're <laughs> not going to let me go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least I'm not going to be able to go somewhere where I want to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I took time off and I took sort of a semester off. And uh, when I returned, I realized I knew it was it was evident to me. I had to take care of the damage that I'd done to my academic reputation, mm-hmm. um, or maybe not academic reputation, but at least my grades. And um, so, you know, when I returned, it was like, okay, now I have a goal. Now I have something to work towards. And I I was able to just go right into it. Mm. Um, And I sort of discovered that psychology was the thing to do when I was away. And so when I got back, it it became evident to me, like, okay, these are the courses that I need to take. These are the courses that I need to excel in to be able to do, to get to UBC and and to go from there. So it sounds like you kind of had a a bit of a light bulb moment where it just clicked was it an overall feeling coming back from the 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 the, tra- the trip uh or was it was it something that just happened and you realized at that moment that that's what you wanted to do oh yeah yeah um i would definitely say so the phone call happened while I, while i was standing outside that cathedral and so what led so so the cathedral <laughs> led to yeah. The, the decision the, yeah the, the cathedral led to the decision absolutely and and it was one of those moments where i was i was i think i'm probably four maybe three weeks into the seven week vacation or time i'm, I'm not even gonna call it a vacation it was mm-hmm. you know a much needed time away right. much needed break a, a chance for maturity and self-reflection so mm-hmm. yeah th- about three weeks into that uh, um standing there i've been through i've been through some of the eastern Bloc countries and seen what was going on there you know it was like just after it would have been 2010 or 2011 so it wasn't like it was you know a destitute place by any means but right. you know you you see these places and you're like the culture is so entirely different from our own and and that really got me going uh in terms of like being interested in in the world around me mm-hmm. um and not nec- not just in the history uh, of people but in what the history means to these people today 
Mm. Um, and so, so we now knowing that you're a cognitive psych researcher, <laughs> yeah, uh, how to get here. <laughs> I, I know that a lot of people that I talk to or family and friends, uh, when I say my friend Kyle is in cognitive psychology, their eyes kind of glaze over and they're kind of confused as to what would cause someone to get into that line of research or, yeah. or they don't really see why cognitive psychology is, uh, is something that of interest yeah. to people. Why is cognitive psychology <laughs> to you uh, yeah. specifically? Yeah. What is your perspective on why you want to do the research you're doing? Uh, yeah, not specifically yeah. yours, but just cognitive psychology in general. Why yeah. is that interesting? So, so that's a really good question. And I think um, that's a reaction that we get from a lot of people is anybody who knows anything about psychology, they hear cognitive and they just immediately shut down. Um, what I'd say to that is the process of shutting down, that is cognitive psychology. <laughs> you know, we're talking about attention. We're talking about memory. We're talking about all these really, really fascinating processes that I think in many ways kind of underlie everything else. And so, you know, the idea behind say cultural or social site or developmental these are all really foundational important things but in many ways what we know about cognitive psychology tends to inform them in some way whether it be a kid learning um, what does that learning and development process look like well learning and memory that kind of stuff that's all cognitive research so um i think I think that's how I could try and reframe it for people. It's mm -hmm. like, hey, no, it's actually kind of cool. Like, we're thinking about how you think. And so we sort of get into this sort of metacognitive aspect of, of things where we, we're talking about ways in which people perceive the world and how they use various mental processes to extract important information from the world around them. Right. And so, and so you bring up the word metacognitive or metacognition. Uh, for anybody that's unfamiliar with the word, essentially thinking about thinking, right? Is that more or less what metacognition is getting at? Yeah, I think I think for the intent of what we're doing right now, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, somebody might, somebody undoubtedly will disagree with me, and that's fine. They can. <laughs> They'll write a nasty email to us. <laughs> but c'est la vie. Thinking about thinking is probably the most apt way of putting it. The whole idea of thinking about thinking is something that I've always been fascinated by. When you're meditating, I think this is a very common thing to not think about anything. Mm -hmm. And and in that process, you start to think about how you're actually thinking, Yeah. Uh, which is actually the opposite of what they want you to do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but this has been my experience, yeah. at least with meditation, when I'm in yoga or anything like that, where they say, close your brain off and just experience what your body's experiencing. Yeah. Oddly enough, it does the opposite effect and I start thinking about myself thinking about things yeah. uh, and how many layers that can go is kind of interesting to <laughs> oh, me. Yeah. Yeah. You can get really deep into that rabbit hole. If you, if you allow yourself, absolutely. It's, it's really fascinating. I, I, I would absolutely agree with you. I approach a lot of, a lot of what we do sort of philosophically, oddly enough, um, considering I never liked any philosophy <laughs> course I ever took. Uh, <laughs> or I shouldn't say I didn't like it. I didn't understand it. I think it's probably the more apt way of putting that, but you know, when we when we get to that point where we're, we're where we start really examining ourselves and what makes ourselves, you know, what makes us special, um, what makes us different, what makes us unique, um, not only from other things, other plants or animals, uh, but from other humans, I think that really speaks to some of the cognitive processing power that our brains really hold. 
I feel fortunate that I'm able to be in a lab where we have, a, um, you know, a supervisor who is as well respected in the field and that, you know, to some extent, he was willing to take a take a gamble on me doing something somewhat unrelated um, and in many ways sort of a pet interest of his allowing me or giving me the opportunity to really uh, pursue it. I have a really funny story, actually, about like how I knew what I wanted to do once I got to UBC. Right, let's interested. hear it. Yeah, well, yeah, let's All hear right. it. So one of my one of my very very good friends, uh, he he got to UBC a year before me. Um, we took a <laughs> the only class. Okay, we took a course <laughs> at Langara together. Um, we knew we've known each other since preschool, but we we took a course together at Langara. It's the only course I've ever failed. Um, Damn. Econ, uh, econ something or other. I don't even remember what it was. <laughs> micro or macro? Uh, micro. Yeah, that's awful. Yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, so one of my really good friends, and he, he left uh, Langara to go to UBC, went on to UBC, and uh, he knew my interest in psychology. And, and uh, so before I started picking my courses, once I was accepted to UBC, he said, oh, you have to take this course. It's great. The prof is hilarious. Really funny. Uh, really good. You have to know your stuff. But if you do, you'll be fine. Like, it's a great course. And and more than anything, it was just about the learning, he said. So I was like, okay, okay, fine, sure. So sure enough, I sign up for it. And uh, I'm, I'm standing outside the lecture hall on the first day, my first day at UBC ever. And I'm standing there and I'm looking around. I'm like, Oh, well, it's kind of a young crowd, like, looking around, okay, well, there's, like, this guy and that guy and whomever, and I was like, that guy kind of looks out of place, I wonder who that is, it never really fazed me, so we go into the lecture hall, and uh, we sit down, and the prof goes, so, uh, why are you all taking this course, and everybody sits there in stupefied silence, nobody wants to, you know, admit why they're in the course, most of them probably just to get the credits and get out, but fair enough mm-hmm. um so <laughs> we're sitting there and and everybody's like kind of murmuring all of a sudden and then this girl's hand pops up and she goes uh because on rate my professor you've got three chilies <laughs> <laughs> and the whole class just bursts out laughing and he's like what are three chilies and somebody else yells from the back it's that you're hot. <laughs> and uh, he just absolutely turned the color of a chili. It was great. <laughs> Anyways. Um, For anybody that's not in academia, Rate My Prof is uh, a method that students can go online and rate their profs on how effective they are as a professor or as a teacher. But they can also add these chili peppers. <laughs> yeah. It's just so you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not the primary purpose of Rate My Professor. Don't know how that got into it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what happened. But it's a feature. So. Yeah. We won't comment on their choice of features. And is it three out of five chilies? Oh, I don't or... know. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it was only one chili and I'm misremembering the story. I'll have to one fact out of check one chili. the chilies. The chilies on Rate My Prof. Yeah. But... Fact check me here. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, um, <laughs> a couple of weeks into the semester, I approached uh, Todd and I said, hey, um, you know, I'm really into, I'm really into this class. I really like the work that you guys are doing. Um, you know, are there any opportunities for me to work with you or work in the lab? And he said, Oh yeah, yeah. I've got a, I've got a grad student who uh, is just starting out, might be interested. So, I um, 
I said, oh, great, that's awesome, thanks. And I passed along my email address. And a couple of weeks later, I started working with uh, Simon Ho, one of my colleagues uh, in Dr. Handy's lab. And uh, he and I have been working together for, a, I mean, since that point now. And uh, yeah, he's he's fantastic. One of, a really good friend, sort of a, a mentor in many ways. But um, yeah, that's that's literally how I got started. So I that was my first ever research job was working, um, working as Simon's RA in Todd's lab. And then uh, just sort of kept going. And, and when I got to the end of my degree, Todd basically said, hey, uh, are you interested in grad school? <laughs> and I said, yes. And he said, great. <laughs> okay, let's go. So, you know, that 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 was it. And um, I've been really fortunate. I know from speaking with you uh, on the last episode, we learned about how you got into grad school and sort of um, the amount of work that you put into it. And uh, I'm not going to say that I didn't put work into it, but I, I definitely acknowledge the fact that I got extremely lucky. Um, I was in the right place at the right time to take advantage of funding and all the other things that we have to worry about as grad students um and that i was doing work that that would fit kind of with what he wanted to start doing so i mean that's to me that's a great point and something that i I think we should highlight too is that a lot of what goes on with us as graduate students or in academia is about right time right place uh and just getting lucky in the sense that you can have these similar interests with a professor that's willing to accept a student that year or the funding adds up or uh, all of these factors that can play a part and you have to be doing work (laughs) and you have to be a good applicant in the same sense right so it's not like uh, someone that doesn't deserve it will get lucky but people that deserve it you still need to get lucky yeah yeah absolutely I mean they're that's exactly the case. I think there are a lot of probably very good applicants who just, it didn't work for them for one reason or another. Um, whether it's the supervisor that they've always dreamed of working with, uh, didn't have the funding or wasn't taking a student, like you said, that year. Or, um, you know, one thing or another, maybe they couldn't, they couldn't move or they couldn't pursue it elsewhere for family reasons or health reasons or something. You know, there are all these, all these really intriguing things that can that kind of happen behind the scenes uh, for a grad student and for any applicant so Mm, yeah absolutely let's get into your research let's sure let's talk a little bit about what you do and what kind of studies you're running what are you doing what what (laughs) what is your research it's we know vaguely that it's fitness and cognition so what yeah so so what i do is i look at the relationship between exercise and cognition so we you know as simple as that is we we essentially are trying to tease out how physical activity impacts your cognitive performance so we look at various measures of cognitive performance and tie that back to exercise that people have done over the preceding x time period and so what what drew you in what (laughs) what is what is the interesting questions that you want answers to so the thing that I'm most intrigued by is I really want to be able to take this research and apply it to help people. Um, I really want to be able to take the work that we do and apply it in a health setting. And I think that a lot of cognitive research, as important as it is, um, and I think a lot of research in general, um, not just psychology and certainly not just cog research, um, but a lot of research tends to overlook the fact that you know, part of our primary focus is 
helping people. You know, that's what we want to do. And so I'm trying to really reorient the work that I do towards that. And so, you know, what I want to be able to do at the end of the day is say, if you go and do this amount of this type of physical activity, here's what we can tell you will happen in your brain. Mm -hmm. And, you know, how that directly translates to some improvement on a cognitive function or a cognitive task that may be at this point, at least <laughs> a little bit unknown, which is exciting. Um, but the idea is to help people be, you know, find other avenues or find other reasons to be healthy and to pursue healthy lifestyles. You know, I think uh, one of the things that people overlook a lot or very frequently is the fact that, um, and this goes back to sort of the way that we've approached psychology for many, many, many decades now, if not centuries, the idea that there being a difference between the brain and body and this idea of sort of Cartesian dualism or the dualistic elements of your brain and your body uh, being two separate entities. And, and so what I try and do is I try and I try and dispel that idea and really refocus it back towards there being your brain situated within your body and your brain is a part of your body as much as your body is a part of your brain. So, you know, trying to encourage people to, to view the world that way. Um, Interesting. So through my work, yeah. In your line of work, what is the conclusions that are being drawn right now with regards to what exercise can do for <laughs> yeah. you cognitively? Because I think my general understanding of how people perceive exercise, it's more of an aesthetic thing okay. vers versus uh, I'm working out to improve my cognition <laughs> uh, yeah, it's more yeah. about looking good or just feeling healthier in general but yeah. what are the cognitive benefits of exercise currently in the literature that's a great question mm -hmm. um i will preface it by saying we're not sure it's not to say that we don't think uh, something exists because we've had a number of really really important studies that have shown that these do in fact happen or that these benefits are there there are sort of a number of different problems when we approach this kind of research that we have to be cognizant of when we're designing studies. Uh, one of them is a participant age is actually a huge component. And so in uh, there's a great paper um, that I refer to all the time. They did a, a meta-analysis where they go back and they look at some of the really important things that have impacted the efficacy of various exercise regimens on uh, cognitive function and, and sort of what has happened as a result of these intervention studies. Um, and they kind of identify a handful of things that are really important. One of them is, as I kind of alluded to, the age of participants. So they look at young children and children and they see uh, that there are differential effects for them. Uh, they then look at elderly individuals and they say, oh, look, hey, we can actually see through these studies that this is occurring for them. And then they look at kind of middle-aged or adults, and they don't find those same effects. So that's one thing. And then there are other things, like the type of exercise that you do. So things like uh, weightlifting have been shown to have some effect for this particular thing, whereas uh, aerobic activity has been shown to have a differential effect again. So a lot of the difficulty when you're doing this kind of research is actually figuring out exactly what you're measuring and exactly how that dovetails with everything else that's been found up to this point or published up to this point. So to, to tell you like, oh, 
what has what have what do we know to be true is a bit of a loaded question mm -hmm. i think what we know to be true or at least what we think to be true is there is a relationship between the amount of physical activity you get and your performance on particular cognitive tasks that is related to or at least impacted by your age the type of activity the duration the intensity of it and the temporal time frame with which you engage in that activity so i think in that response you make a bunch of really good points and i i i want to admit i it was a loaded question so i apologize <laughs> that's okay <laughs> uh, that's what we're here for because a lot of the time when it comes to psychology uh people ask those kind of broad questions yeah and expect an answer <laughs> and the truth is as you highlighted there's so many variables that are a part of what is healthy what is yeah. physical fitness yeah. what is cognition you really need to tease those apart and yeah. and and just within that small answer that you gave it kind of highlights the fact that yeah there's there's a million variables that need to be accounted for to get these kind of results uh and you can't get these wide casting nets for all for a, or a catch-all answer for uh what is exercise going to do for cognition yeah yeah absolutely and i think this is sort of the researcher's optimism in me coming through and i think i think you'll probably agree uh with me and what i say but part of what we want to do is always to find you know what's next you know what can we do next to help people and and so for me you kind of alluded to this idea earlier of oh i exercise because i want to look good or i want to you know physically i want to be healthy um what i really want to do next is be able to show demonstrate to somebody hey we're gonna bring you into the gym and you're not going to be able to see any weight loss benefits in the next month maybe you know we're going to control your diet we're going to control the activity that you do but realistically we're not going to see any result for a little while and i think at that point you have a lot of mortality a lot of people drop out of you know whatever exercise program they're in because they don't see the results and fair enough mm. um so what I want to be able to do is actually show, hey, we can actually put you through this test before you start the program, and we'll do it again two weeks later, and we'll see a benefit. And so uh, being able to show people that there are other benefits beyond the physical, you know, that can really impact their lives. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, that's, and that's so interesting because motivation and personality and all these other things that play a factor in whether or not you actually exercise mm -hmm. being able to reiterate that you can actually have better memory or your attention will be better based on whether or not you exercise could be a really important factor right yeah yeah absolutely uh, so great well so it sounds like there's a lot of interesting stuff coming out of your lab and what you're doing i hope so at the end of the day if there's some benefit whatever it might be I'm all for it. You know, if it if it helps them, uh, if it lowers the risk of diabetes, fantastic. If it lowers the chances of them developing early onset dementia, that's that's also fantastic. Like, I don't really care where the benefit is shown as long as there is a benefit somewhere. And so for me, that's part of what I'm trying to do is really encourage people to think about mental health as a product of their physical health as well. Right. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah. Oh, I'm not just saying that. <laughs> so, Kyle, 
<laughs> with respect to exercise and cognition research, uh, what is something that people usually get wrong or are misinformed about? If you had to choose one, I know I'm not yeah. putting on the spot, but yeah, no, 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 it's a, it's a really good question. It would be that these two sort of seemingly abstract concepts are abstract, that they're not in any way related to the other. I think that the scientific community has started to believe that that's just not true. I think that people are starting to demonstrate that there's actually this really important link between your physical activity and your body, and of course, your body and your mind. And so seeing these two seemingly different elements being related i think is is the major thing that people people get wrong about the research that i do and so for any of those naysayers or individuals that think that physical activity or exercise and the way that you think are two different things and they don't coalesce together yeah what would you say to them to persuade them if you uh -huh. had to, if you had to persuade them yes okay so i love this have you ever met somebody who who really likes going to the gym and they always say that they feel better afterwards oh yeah would you count yourself as one of them Maybe? yes okay. yes i would yeah yeah so typically when you exercise do you feel better afterwards 100 percent. okay as soon as i it is the hardest thing to go to the gym. Yeah. It that is probably the hardest task out of all the things I do in a day is to go to the gym even though I know I will feel better afterwards. Yeah. Uh it is the hardest thing, but once I am there, I am committed and then <laughs> the best payoff is literally that feeling right right after right after right after the exercise, yeah. yeah. And so you feel better afterwards. 100%. Yeah. I rest my case. I mean, <laughs> you know, you, you've demonstrated that there is this link between the way that you feel, your cognition, your body, your mind is saying, I feel better. Fair enough. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good point. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's, it's all about the, the release of neurotransmitters in your brain, yes. which is yeah leading this cognition neurotransmitters like dopamine are released when you exercise we haven't had an opportunity to touch on some of the really deep science of it there's some interesting stuff about a compound called brain derived neurotropic factors which actually aid in the construction of uh, neurons and dendrites and their connections their synapses there's a number of other ones that that exist and, and th those are actually released after you exercise so we see like you just said these the influx of neurotransmitters and uh, various components that are occurring after you've exercised are all part of why we feel better and and it's sort of your brain saying this is good for me this is good for us um, and your brain and body are saying this is great we need more of it or we need this amount of it or whatever it might be so what are the next topics that you are kind of interested in getting in, into or delving into uh, coming up? Yeah, the next things that I want to do are, are really looking at the circumstance under which exercise is really beneficial to your brain. And so by that, I mean, how do we actually provide you a regimen where we can increase your cognitive performance on some me measure, whatever it might be? 
so devising a way to do that and uh, devising the means to actually record that benefit uh, that's kind of where we want to go and um, I think that really ties back into this idea of providing individuals with a means of, of measuring progress whether it's you know weight loss or muscle gain or whatever it might be adding that one ad one extra measure to help encourage people to to maintain activity levels you know improved improved arithmetic yeah Im improved vocabulary yeah what if I, <laughs> I mean imagine imagine how great it would be if i could tell you hey uh you could go to the gym before you go to work in the morning go for a quick run 20 minutes uh and then you'll show up at work and you'll be more attentive you'll you'll stay awake you'll pay attention during that meeting uh when it comes to when it comes to getting something done you'll be more efficient i mean you could sell that to any business owner exactly. or ceo saying uh let your employees run for 20 minutes before yeah. work and 10 percent they will be working 10 percent faster exactly yeah what if what if when you what if when you went to work in the morning you know you show up at nine or whatever it might be you had a half hour, you had a, you know, not a mandatory, but you had a half hour set aside for you to get physical activity where you could go for a run, you could use the weights, whatever it might be. That was yours. And it was paid time. I mean, you know, it was beneficial for everybody. You know, the, the, the workers saw a benefit, the manager saw a benefit, the owner saw a benefit. And I know that a lot of research also kind of points towards, uh, the better or the more physically active their employees are, the less time off they're going to take down the road and things like that, where you'll actually see long-term returns on having physically active exactly. employees, exactly. right? And so th you talking about this reminds me of when I was in uh, elementary school in grades, I think it was grade six to seven, they implemented a program where we literally would get up and dance for five minutes every day <laughs> and i believe it was our vice principal that was over the pa that would introduce this song and we danced this song every every day <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> and i'm i like to think they were they had the foresight of you of, of, or the knowledge that you're translating right now to be implementing that kind of program saying oh maybe if our students are more physically fit they'll pay attention more yeah. or they'll have stronger cognitive ability in whatever task it yeah. was i don't want to give them that much credit <laughs> but it reminds yeah. me of that moment in my life and i thought oh, oh why the hell am i doing this <laughs> this yeah. is ridiculous <laughs> no, why are they telling me to run I don't want to... <laughs> but serious. nonetheless here i am so maybe yeah. it worked out maybe i don't worked. know <laughs> But it's a it's a really cool idea and it's a, it's really interesting research that I I implore anyone that's interested to kind of look into the work that you're doing, look into your lab and oh, and get engaged with the kind of work that you guys are doing at UBC. Yeah, absolutely. Thank yeah. you, thank you. Yeah, we're we're always looking for people interested, not not necessarily for research, but even just to kind of get ideas out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's something that we can learn. Uh, we can always learn from other people. Regardless of who you're talking to, uh, actually not being in the field might actually be a <laughs> oh, positive yeah. aspect or a positive attribution uh, because you don't have any of these preconceptions that are, are kind of fostered when you're doing research in that area, right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so having people 
that don't know anything about it is actually somewhat of a benefit sometimes because yeah. you can ask these naive questions that people don't think about because they're so uh, immersed in the work they do. Yeah. 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 For sure. Very cool. So thanks. the last segment that we're going to do, and thanks Kyle for, for telling us everything about. Oh, my pleasure. Done. It's, <laughs> it's, it's great. And I think that what we're trying to do here is trying to kind of limit the barriers between researchers and and who they are as humans because yeah. we are really we are humans if you haven't realized that yet. <laughs> uh, I'm not the, just a very well automated robot. No, the pe- the 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 articles that we write or the 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 work that we do hypothetically in the future are all based on motivation to do this work and 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 yeah. we have internal and external reasons to, to be doing the work that we're doing right yep. so um love of the game it's the love of the game baby <laughs> it's the love of the game all right we're gonna go into the segment are we gonna let this slide and so in this segment we are basically tell me drake i'll tell you right now are we are <laughs> we going to you, you let me know that <laughs> so, uh, okay i'll let you know <laughs> so are we gonna let it slide is one of our hosts or our guests will ask whether or not this occurrence or psychological thing thing is is okay or if it's a good good or bad thing more or less and we'll have a kind of peanut gallery decision on what's actually yeah. right on this uh or our opinions are on our our biased opinions let's get real <laughs> uh on whether or not we think this is a good or bad thing and so kyle is going to talk today about cognitive brain training is that yeah is that correct yeah, yeah we're going to talk about cognitive yeah brain so let's we'll say a quick pitch word it. On it yeah let's pitch it so cognitive brain training uh is the idea that we can train our brains to perform better i think the most famous example probably lumosity yeah uh, we've probably all seen ads for it yeah i downloaded it <laughs> yeah yeah well <laughs> no so anyways uh so the idea behind brain training games is that we can actually improve our cognitive function by doing this task over and over and over and over again. So any researcher or anybody with any scientific ex- experience who's just heard me say over and over and over and over again <laughs> is a little bit alarmed. They're saying, well, why is that? That can't be the case. If somebody's doing something over and over and over again, aren't we just learning that task? And the answer probably is yes. Brain training tasks, and I believe Lumosity was actually taken to court over this, but brain training tasks haven't been shown to have the effect that uh, the designers have wanted over all this time. It's not to say that there isn't some benefit to pursuing these tasks. You know, if if you want to get good at Sudokus and you do lots of Sudokus, then hey, that's a win. Like that, that's yeah. fine. Nobody's gonna, you know. Does say, does it translate to actual? cognitive ability yeah, and ar- arithmetic co- yeah. or things like that is a different case is right? entirely different yeah. so you might get really really good at one particular task but what's the translation value of that task to something else or some real world task that's right. currently unknown or at least fuzzy to many people so that's what i'm not going to let slide that that <laughs> i'd like to actually call out yeah, yeah. okay good well i'm glad yeah. to hear cause for me my experience with luminosity uh they have, I, I believe they have the ability to compare with your friends oh, no. on how smart oh, no. you are. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I need to confirm that though. So I've got a poorly named final segment <laughs> that, between that two names. may be going in a different direction eventually, but how about this? How about this? We will take suggestions mm. for the name on this final segment. Absolutely. 
Okay, so you can, you can email us at brainbuzzpod at gmail.com. You can Twitter us at brainbuzzpod. Uh, you can Facebook us. You can Facebook the group. Yeah. Uh, and all of these are going to be accessible through our website. Yeah, uh, brainbuzzpodcast.com. Wherever you consume this, you will see these as well. <laughs> uh, just look up Brain Buzz Podcast uh, and, and you'll find what you're looking for. Um, right now. <laughs> Tentatively, the name for this segment is Lessons Learned from Lowly Graduate Students. So these are essentially lessons that we have acquired throughout our studies or throughout our lives that we think are important when you're disseminating facts versus fiction, I think, uh, and how to think critically about what you're consuming and whether or not it's an accurate uh, source of knowledge. Awesome. So that's it. Awesome. For this podcast. So thanks so much, Kyle, for uh, bearing your soul. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and the next episode of Brain Buzz podcast will be with a guest. This, yeah. is, this is the format that we are planning to take on for the yeah, for foreseeable up, future. For the foreseeable future, we'll have, um, it'll be your hosts followed or accompanied by a guest. And uh, we'll be able to talk about uh, their research and their interests. It won't just be us yammering into mics. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we're looking forward to it. That'll be a lot of fun, I think. And we, again, I want to reiterate that we are looking for as much critical feedback as possible. Yep. C- constructive would be great, but if it's just critical, <laughs> that's fine. Um, we want to. But make we are this, humans. Yeah, we are. <laughs> Kyle's a little emotional. <laughs> uh, so be, just right. email me. <laughs> um, but we want to we want to make sure that we're getting critical feedback so we can make this as enjoyable yeah. for every person that's listening. And we yeah, want let us know what you want to hear. Uh, let us know what you want done differently. Let us know what you love or at least like. Yeah, <laughs> we'll we'll keep those parts and change the rest. So absolutely. And this is yeah, this is not a uh, set in stone format that we want to uh, that we plan to keep. We want to adapt in any way possible we are planning for uh more open mic kind of concept episodes where we're going to talk about psychological concepts that are of interest uh things like oh we might just i mean we might just take a stab at at uh you know cognition in general or we might talk about health research or we could talk about um you know theories of self-actualization you never know yeah and i think so like couple ideas that we kind of bounced around were thing talking about one subject so something like uh imposter syndrome (laughs) which is very relevant for grad students which is the the idea that you are an imposter where you are and you don't deserve to be where you're at uh it's very relevant in, in graduate studies or talking about something like mental health uh or anything that is of interest from our audience that we would that would be fun and interesting to talk about with individuals that are from different perspectives in psychology so yeah. we have a lot of uh different a personalities panel. yeah a panel approach to talking about psych- psychological topics so we'll solicit any any feedback that we can get uh, and we appreciate anyway that has made it to the second episode <laughs> uh so thank you for listening and uh hit him with the sign off
visit your hosts at brainbuzzpodcast.com, send them an email at brainbuzzpod at gmail.com, or reach them at Twitter and Facebook at brainbuzzpod. The intro track is Everything Goes, performed by Poolside. The song and the title fit the themes and elements that we want to convey throughout our podcast. Thank you for listening to Brain Buzz. Cheers. <laughs>